Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I'm always interested to know what the listener is thinking when it comes to a study of Scripture. So I always look forward to feedback, to understanding where you're coming from. Well, this camp meeting series has given me plenty of feedback. <laughs> I've had the opportunity to understand what a lot of you are thinking. And it's been quite a spectrum, quite a range. For example, on the one hand, and this is specifically true, those who say that book shouldn't be, even be in the Bible, why are you talking about it in church? All the way over to those who say it's been a great blessing to study the song. And everywhere in between. There are a few letters I would not read to you or anyone else in public probably. But it's been interesting to listen to your feedback, including the stories. I must share with you one of those stories shared with me just this past week. I share it with her permission, Mrs. Maggie Bobst. It seems that Mrs. Bobst, years ago, when she was a student, had an interesting encounter with one of the professors or faculty members. She had a young man in her life that she was very interested in and was interested not just for now, but for the long term. And so this faculty member apparently pulled her into his office and said, Listen, you can't marry him. You, you can play the piano. You need to marry a pastor. That's what we need to have you do. So I'd like to know why it is that you're interested in him. What is it that you see in him? Why are you thinking of marrying him? Well, Maggie, too, in all honesty, was scared to death looking at this man, didn't know quite how to respond to him. He was an authority figure. He was older than her, and he was very insistent. Give me one good reason why you're going to marry him. One good reason. And so she took a deep breath, and she said, Well, because I love how I feel when I'm in his arms. He wasn't expecting that. <laughs> he stood up, knocked over his chair, and strode out of the room and never came back. <laughs> and she said, That young boy and I have now been married 71 years. <laughs> Because I love how I feel when I'm in his arms. I think both the man and the woman in the song would appreciate that. They would love that as we have listened to them speak back and forth to each other, listening to the choruses of the women singers at times. It has been very moving, and it has had that kind of effect. It's been that kind of a picture that is painted in the song. But maybe you have thought... Well, that's all fine and good, I suppose, for those who do such things and talk in such ways and feel in such ways. 
But that's a lot of cotton candy and fluffy clouds and perfume and chocolate and roses. That, that's not going to carry the weight on the long haul. What about the strength of love? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. In fact, today we're going to do just basically three simple things. We're going to read the passage. We're going to take just a bit of time to consider what it means. And then I want to share three stories. We'll listen to a closing song. We'll declare victory and go home. How's that? <laughs> and so we go to the passage. Song of Songs, chapter 8, the last chapter in the song. Song of Songs, chapter 8. Now, before we read the passage, I want to put two realities in place. First reality is this. As we come to this passage, just know, just understand that we are coming to the peak, to the pinnacle, to the culmination of the song. This is, scholars say, maybe the most important passage in the book. So know that. But secondly, know this. It is going to give us a very high and lofty view of love and how love conducts itself. In fact, it is such a high and such a lofty view that by the time we're done with it, there will be many among us who are gasping for breath, thinking, who is equal to such things? But hang with me. In fact, in this passage, we will see that love has a velvet glove, but a spine of steel. Before we read the passage, in fact, let me just share with you a brief statement from an Old Testament scholar, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, with whom I've spoken, you, spoken to you about before. Here's what he says about the passage we read today. Here in the song, for the first and only time, we step back from the story and get the closest thing to a definition of love that the song will give us. This is why a number of scholars call 8, 5 to 7 the climax of the Song of Songs. So we're going to read part of that. We're going to read Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. So here we go, beginning in verse 6. It's the woman who is speaking or singing. She says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This is the pinnacle, the peak, the top of the mountain where we get a high and lofty view of what love really is. As I said, it's such a high view, we will gasp, needing help. I want to point out just three simple truths that I think emerge from these words that the woman sings about love. The first truth is this one. Love costs it costs. Love costs everything. Notice the words again, beginning of verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal 
on your arm. Now, the seal about which she speaks and sings here would be something similar to a wedding band in our day and time. It is a seal that indicated connection and relationship and belonging to someone else. And she says to him, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. In other words, I want everyone around us, I want the world to know that we belong to each other, that your heart and its loyalties and your hands and their actions are mine. We're in a mutually exclusive relationship. It doesn't cost you anything, but it requires everything. Place me like a seal. Scripture, the metaphor for heart and the metaphor for arm or hand often simply means your loyalties, your affections. So I want to be there in your loyalties and affections, knowing that we belong to each other. On your arm, everything you do, Everything in which you engage somehow will relate to us. Love costs. You must surrender everything to it for it to truly do its work. That's the first truth. Love costs. Second truth that I think emerges from this passage is this one. Love is free. Love is free. Before you think that's contradictory, let's read the last part of verse 7. Notice what she says. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. In other words, if you were to gather together everything that you have, sell everything in your house, withdraw all your money from the bank, Bring every last dime and nickel and penny you have all to one place and lay it at the feet of someone whose affections you desire and say to them, please, it's all yours if you will just love me. She says it would be scorned. In fact, if your name happens to be Mavis Winchek, who just won the largest jackpot in U.S. history. Or if your name happens to be Bill Gates, consistently at the top of the list of Forbes' richest humans on the planet. You cannot amass enough that can buy true love. Oh, you can buy attention. You can buy a good time. You can buy a night on the town. You can buy a companion. There are a lot of things that you can buy. But, says the woman, you cannot buy true love because it's free. It's a gift. It costs everything, but it's utterly without price. That's love. And then the third reality that emerges from this passage not only that love costs, not only that love is free, but thirdly, love is the most powerful force of all. Love is the most powerful force of all. We read the middle part now, the last part of verse 6 and the first part of verse 7. She says, For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. 
It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. She speaks of three powers, three forces in the world. In fact, in her world, the most powerful forces she probably could have imagined. Not far off in our world either. These are the powerful forces known to humankind. She says, fire. In fact, some suggest that it should be translated the flame of the Lord, the fire of God. We know something about the power of fire. Southern California, day like today. You had to come in here to get out of the cold, didn't you? <laughs> Brutally hot out there. We know what it is to see the the clouds of smoke billowing into the sky and the fire licking up, not dozens or hundreds, but sometimes thousands of acres, wildlife, sometimes home, homes. And there you have the firefighters in a desperate fight against it, which as I've watched them on the news programs, I've sometimes thought that's like a child with a garden hose trying to put out an inferno in a house fire. We know that that fire, that power. She says, love is stronger than that. Second one, water. Please, on a week like this, we just look back to the east and we see what's unfolding in Houston, Texas. Do we know the power of water? And yet she says, Love cannot quench it. Many rivers cannot sweep it away. Love continues. And the third one, the grave. It is as unyielding as the grave. How many of us have stood at the graveside of a loved one knowing the power of death? And yet, she says, more powerful than that. Love is the most powerful force of all. It costs, but it's free. And it's the most powerful force of all. Three stories. First story begins in 1938, East Peoria, Illinois. Young man named Fred, hungry, had gone down to the A&W root beer stand, had ordered a burger, had ordered a float, and was waiting for it to be delivered. It was then, as he would describe it decades later, it was then that he laid eyes on what he said was the prettiest girl I had ever seen. For him, anyway, it was love at first sight. He lost no time in securing contact information, calling her, asking her for a date. She accepted and thus began first a friendship from which was born love and wedding bells. And the years passed. They got married. For too long had children, three daughters. The years continued to roll by. You know how they do as we move through time in a vehicle called now. That vehicle seems to pick up speed. Soon grandchildren... In a surprisingly, what seemed to them, brief period of time, great-grandchildren. And throughout it all, it was life. You know what life is like, up in the morning, off to work, home at night, tired, going to bed. 
A hug in the morning, a kiss at night. Conflict here, resolution there, bills to pay over here, kids' soccer games and baseball games and whatever else they were involved in. And life just continued to unfold. And then they suddenly awakened to the fact that life was ebbing away. Two months, two months before their 73rd, 73rd wedding anniversary. That young woman with whom he had fallen in love so many years ago went to her rest. Lorraine was her name. Well, you can imagine after decades together, the profound grief that descended on Fred. The loneliness was intense. How could he survive? What would he do now? Where would he turn? Well, it was somewhere during that period of time that he heard that, that a station was having a contest, a songwriting contest, Green Shoe Studios. And apparently not having other ways to occupy his time, he decided in his 90s that he would for the first time Take pen and paper in hand, and he would compose a song. A song to that woman with whom he had fallen in love so many years ago at the root beer stand in East Peoria, Illinois. And so he wrote the song, sent it in. Jack Colgan, CEO of Green Shoe Studios, was also a singer and a songwriter himself and recognized that what he had on his hands was truly something special. And so he met Fred and, and, and offered to record it for him, help him refine it. Little did they realize that that song, My Sweet Lorraine, would actually make it onto Billboard's Top 100, would make it to f number 42, would stay at the top at 42 for a period of time and would score 7 million YouTube hits. All out of the heart of a man whose love continued even beyond the grave. I want you to watch and see as Fred hears that recording for the first time of not just what he had written, but of what he had lived. Watch the screen. I'm hoping you like it. Yeah. And once I said it's not done yet, but uh -huh. I'm going to let you hear it, okay? Yeah. Tell me when you're ready. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Oh, sweet. Wish we could do all the good times over again, oh sweet Lorraine. Life only goes around once, but never again, oh sweet Lorraine. I wish we could do all the good times over again, the good times, the good times, the good times, all over again. The good times, the good times, the good times, all over again. But the memories always linger on, oh sweet 
The woman in the song sang, sang, love costs everything you are, but it's free. You can't buy it. It's the most powerful force of all. In the day-to-day living of life and choice-making, love. Second story. I want to show you a picture of a young couple. Don't know exactly where this was taken. You'll see it appear on your screen. I think it may have been taken in Fort Worth, Texas. Very handsome couple, if I may say so myself. I would one day call them dad and mom. Don't know where they were, but I do know this was before either had accepted Jesus as personal Savior and Lord and guide in their lives. In fact, at that moment in time, at that table, had you walked up and said to him, you're going to be a pastor, and to her, you're going to be a pastor's wife, they would have both have fallen out of those chairs in shock. But there they were, young with life ahead of them, falling in love. He, the basketball player and quarterback, and she, the diminutive cheerleader, dwarfed by him by almost a foot. Just young. The early stirrings of love. Not too long after that comes a second picture. This picture at their wedding. You'll see it appear. 18 years old. 18 years young. These two, what do they know about love? Please. 18, oh, they know a lot about the earlier part of the song. The song, when it speaks of love and passion and romance and desire and all the things about which we have read in recent weeks, of that they know a great deal. But of love, the kind of love required to go the distance, who knows that at 18? They had a song in those days. You know how couples do. It's our song, we say to each other. They had a song, our song, they said. It was a song that that was written by Irving Berlin, recorded by old blue eyes himself, Frank Sinatra, called Always. I'm going to let you hear just a bit of that song, some of the opening bars. I'm not going to listen to the whole thing, but to get a sense of what was their song. Listen. you 
with a love that's true Always When the things you've planned Need a helping hand I will understand Always Always What do they know about always at 18? And the years passed. Children came, four of us, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. The song said, I'll be loving you always. It was before children in our life and world when, when mom and dad came to visit us. And one evening we were sitting there in the townhouse where we lived at the time. We were talking about these things. And Anita and I got to asking them about such things. And, and they said, well, that was our song always. And so uh, Anita had it, and we played it. And when that song began to play, Dad went over and he pulled Mom out of the chair and they began to slow dance around the living room of the townhouse where we lived. And my wife, being who she is, grabbed her camera and took a picture. And when the flash went off, my dad whirled around and said, Don't show that to anybody. <laughs> Don't show it to anybody. Dad, are you kidding me? <laughs> If my name were Roger Hadley, you'd see it right up there. But my name is Randy Roberts, and I can't find it. <laughs> there they were, slow dancing to the music. I'll be loving you always. What does that mean to say that? Always. Hasn't been that long ago now. Dad losing his battle with an enemy named Parkinson's. It's coming close to the end, just a few days away. I went into their bedroom, and there he was lying in bed, and there was Mom having fallen asleep beside him. And I took a picture. I want you to see that picture. Their song was always. I'll be loving you always, with a love that's true, always. When the things you've planned need a help in hand, I will understand always. Days may not be fair always. That's when I'll be there always, not for just an hour, not for just a day, not for just a year, but always. What was it that the woman in the song said? Love costs everything you have, but it's free. You can't command it. It is the most powerful force known to all of us. But I realize, and I argue a bit with the woman in the song, I realize that we are each and every one of us broken human beings. In each and every life, were we to pry under the surface, we would see broken examples of human and failed attempts to love. They would be there. That's who we are as human beings. For some, it's more obvious and more open and more out there. For some, it's more hidden and more submerged and more closed. But of this be assured, in every life, Brokenness, sorrow. Because of that, 
a third story. This story, I invite you to come with me to a, they called it a street. I'd say probably more of a back alley in a sense. Come with me to a street. I want you to watch the scene that is unfolding on this street. It's a street called the Via Dolorosa. The city is crammed with pilgrims this Friday. They are everywhere. You can't walk without bumping into them. But here, as we look in on the Via Dolorosa, there is a mob surging down the street, propelling one man at the center of the mob in the direction of his date with destiny, a place called the Skull. The mob screams, barks, shouts, makes fun of. He tries to stand up under the load of the cross. As we look on, our question is, what happened? What did he do? What keeps him there? We might think as we look, it's the, the angry mob that surrounds him. That's what keeps him from being able to walk away, but we would be wrong. Or we might think it's the fact that Rome has a grip on him. Rome's fierce fist is strangling him. He can't escape, but that's not it either. We might even think it was Pilate, Pilate's edict, his judgment condemned him. He cannot escape from Pilate. That would not be it either. You see, what keeps him there is one thing called love. Love. That's what keeps him there. The love that costs everything. The love that cannot be bought. The love that is the most powerful force of all. He is heading for his date at the place of the skull to show you how much he loves you. To give evidence to me that in the most broken places in my life and in yours, His grace catches us, forgives us, heals us. His grace that day assures us of His love this day. And so if you have had a life that has been an evidence of a long-term love, or if your life is an ongoing series of broken relationships, if you have found the one whom your soul loves, or if you still have to find that person, it is the grace of that place and the grace of that day that assures us of his everlasting love for us. In fact, I wonder, I wonder as we view that scene on the Via Dolorosa, I wonder if somehow we could slip among the crowd, get up close to that man, and listen. Because I think if we did, we would hear him whisper to you, I'll be loving you always. <laughs>